Good morning. Well, if you got a Bible, you can open it up to Numbers chapter 33. If you're new around here, my name is Stephen. I'm the pastor. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Show of hands, how many of you ate chips and salsa sometime in the last week? Amen. All right. Knew we were a godly church. That's good. Last week, we uh, kicked off a new series called Reformation, 10 Steps to a Counterculture, and I preached uh, an introductory message to the, the sermon, uh, to the sermon series uh, based on Matthew chapter 5, that we are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be restored? And we said that salt, or to be a salty Christian, uh, is to be bold, is to be holy, is to be loving, and is to be active. And what happens when there's a bunch of salty Christians uh, is that we become the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. The basis of this series is that uh, first, the individual Christian, you and I, and then the, the church as a whole is in need of a reformation. See, we can't yell and scream and talk about reformation out there until we experience it in here, until we experience it here. And so last week was the challenge to get your salt back if you've lost it, your boldness back, your pursuit of holiness, your love for your neighbor as yourself, and your active nature in the kingdom of God. And so uh, I hope last week stirred something inside of you. And what I want to do today is this. I uh, didn't finish my sermon last week, uh, believe it or not. I still had some at the end that I wanted to finish. And since I didn't finish it last week, I thought, you know what? I'll finish it this week. Uh, And so I've added a little bit to it. Uh, But this is really what was supposed to be the second half of last week's sermon. But I saved you all from a 90-minute sermon. So you're welcome. And today, I'll, uh, I'll pick up um, from there. And uh, the, 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 I did learn a little bit, though, because in this like 11-week, it was supposed to be 11-week sermon series, I gave myself one buffer week just in case something happened. So I'm using my mulligan already here on week number two. We are in Numbers 33, if you have a Bible. And uh, where I wanted to end last week, and so we'll pick up today, is this. Now that we know that we're supposed to be the salt of the earth or a city on a hill, the light of the world, Jesus mixed his metaphors a little bit, uh, and so we can too here. Uh, how do we go about, uh, now that we're going to go do that, uh, what will, will there be opposition? Is there a fight that has to take place? Or can we just say, hey, we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We're going to be a light on the world. We're going to drive out the darkness. We're going to be a city on a hill. Let's just go do it. It's going to be nice and easy. The, uh, of course, quick answer to that question is no. No, there is a fight that is taking place. There is a battle right now that is being fought. And I would say this, it's a battle for your soul. It's a battle for the soul of the family, a battle for the soul of the church. And I would say a battle for the soul of a nation. That when uh, darkness is reigning, when darkness has taken ground that light is supposed to hold, that to go back then and take the darkness back will consist of a fight. And so uh, this morning uh, is a call to fight. It's a call to train. It's a realization and a recognition uh, that if we want to see a reformation happen, uh, it will happen because a battle is won. Now, ultimately, we know there was a battle fought 2,000 years ago on the cross. Christ won that battle on the cross. And then when he rose from the grave, giving us all of the victory that we need to operate out of. And so we stand on that previous victory, uh, but there is more victory. 
victory uh, to achieve. And the church now is called and equipped and empowered to go do that. And uh, we're going to look in Numbers 33 because it talks about uh, an Old Testament battle. And I want to draw a comparison to the battle that was taking place then to the battle that is taking place today. Uh, and, and ultimately, of course, this is a spiritual battle. And it's a spiritual battle many of you probably faced in your own minds, where uh, maybe last week something was stirring in your heart, but then by Tuesday, uh, you felt an apathy or you felt the enemy beginning to work in. Maybe some of you made a decision last week about how something was going to change, and by Wednesday, the enemy was feeding to you why that was so silly for you to have decided some of you, maybe you started the year off with some new resolutions on how you're going to pursue Christ. You're 15 days in. Uh, it's starting to go dry already. Today's a reminder for you uh, to hop back on. There is a battle being fought. Now, in Numbers chapter 33, we see uh, God giving an instruction about an actual physical military battle. And here's what he says to the children of Israel. If you're unfamiliar with the biblical story, uh, about 500 years prior to what I'm reading right here, God had called a man by the name of Abram. He later changed his name to Abraham. He told Abraham, you're going to be the father uh, of my people, the Israelites, and I'm going to give you a land, a specific geographical land where your people, uh, where my people, but Abraham's seed, will you, where you will live. But before that, there's going to be 400 years of slavery. So there was 400 years of slavery. Uh, then the Israelites wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. And right before uh, they're going to go into the promised land, Moses and God have the conversation we're about to read about. It says this, and the Lord spoke to Moses. One of the first things we have to see here as we're entering into a battle, we have to make sure we're listening to the right voices. I don't have a bunch of time to hit this this morning, but us being able to properly discern the voice of God is an important thing in battle. Maybe you've studied military tactics or battle tactics, and one of the things that enemies try to do to each other is confuse communication. And one of the things the enemy loves to do to us is confuse communication. And one of the ways the enemy does that is by uh, using teachers or communicators who twist the word of God. That's why we need to have sound doctrine. Or another thing is, uh, for Christians, oftentimes we'll think, well, God's gone silent. I can't hear his voice anymore. I'm not hearing his voice. I used to hear God. I don't hear him anymore. God hasn't gone silent. He's written this entire book and given us his Holy Spirit so we can discern and understand his will and his voice. My friends, uh, good military starts with good communication, uh, and so we need to be hearing the voice of the Lord. Uh, Moses heard it directly from God as he spoke probably audibly to him. Uh, we, of course, we uh, tend to hear it differently through the Word of God, through prayer, right, uh, and submitting ourselves to the Word of God. Um, there are, right now, happening in our church Bible studies all over. Uh, we didn't, like, plan this. They just this is how God works, right, through his Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're 18 to 25, James, who's our worship pastor, he was over here at the guitar. He started a new Bible study on discernment. How do I discern uh, God's voice? That's every Monday night at 6.30. If you're 18 to 25, you can join him tomorrow night. Uh, also starting tomorrow night for you ladies out there, Danae, who's our ministry director around here, she's starting a Bible study through the book of Philippians. She would love for you to join her, 6.30 on Monday nights. Uh, Angie, uh, who's uh, down here in the front row worshiping every week, uh, she's starting a Bible study Tuesday nights, every other Tuesday night, 6.30. This is men and women studying the armor of God uh, and how do we prepare for this battle. So there's a lot going on, friends, because I think God is preparing our church for something. You know, Psalm 144, 1, uh, I know I was in numbers. I'm hopping over real quick because this is a good verse. Uh, Psalm 144, 1, you can uh, write this down if you're taking notes because it's a great verse to go back to. 
says this, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. In other words, God wants to get you ready because you and I have been called to engage in the battle, in the fight. And so uh, we need to get ready. We need to get trained. And here's the good news. God is going to train us, and he's a good teacher. He's a good trainer. So uh, the Lord spoke to Moses back in Numbers 33. He said, in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan at Jericho, and this is what he said. He said, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, and you should destroy their figured stones and destroy all their metal images and demolish all their high places. And you shall take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given the land to you to possess it. Powerful words from the God who made everything. You looked at the Israelite people, right? And if you're familiar with the biblical story, there was a story right before this where the uh, 12 spies, they were called, went in to the promised land and they saw the enemies that were in there and thought, there's no way we can win this battle. And sometimes there are Christians to this day who think there is no way that we can win this battle. Like I said already, who wins the battle was decided 2,000 years ago at the cross. We can win this battle. We will win this battle. The first point here this morning is this. We are in a fight, but in the new covenant now with the resurrected Christ, the, there's metaphor that we can draw for numbers, but the fight does look a little bit different. Uh, let's hop over to Ephesians chapter 6 real quick, and let me tell you what the fight looks like on this side of the cross, because uh, the New Testament authors aren't afraid to use this kind of lingo. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord, which is actually uh, almost the exact words that God used to Joshua when they were going to enter into the promised land. Almost like Paul is echoing uh, what God spoke to Joshua when they were going in for the actual battle. Paul now talking about the spiritual battle says the same thing. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle or fight against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, Paul is saying there is a spiritual battle taking place. Friends, my job this morning is to awaken us to the idea that there is a battle. If you want to understand what this battle might look like, again, I explained some of it earlier, like how, how the enemy might be attacking you uh, as you've made commitments that you're going to follow the Lord more. But we can see this from a societal perspective. Uh, part of the way that we know that there's a battle going on, uh, we can look out and see the, uh, the, the way that untruth has permeated our society, the acceleration, it seems, of a rejection of truth is an indicator to us. There is a battle that is happening, and the enemy is not afraid of battle. The enemy has a strategy. The enemy has a plan. The enemy is active and is working, and one of the enemy's tactics is to get the church to think that there is no battle, because even if the church doesn't think there is a battle, if there is a battle, then we're losing the battle. And so the enemy keeps running and keeps going in his battle, and we have to be reminded there is a spiritual battle that is being fought. It's happening. Whether we acknowledge it, we sense it, or we see it, I think most of us do. I think that's part in why you're here, because we're waking up and we're seeing there is something happening. There's a battle. 
Now, how do we go about fighting this spiritual battle? It's a spiritual battle, right? And so we have to use spiritual tactics, and we have to use spiritual weapons, and we have to have spiritual strategy, right? We have to have spiritual perspective as we enter into this battle. Numbers 33 tells us how they used to do it. This is what you just went into the land, you drove them out, right? Uh, we don't do it like that anymore. Even the idea of reformation uh, is not that we're just going to like like drive out, right, armed rebellion, right, and, and take over. There's something else going on. So how does that battle look? Well, I think we can look from a metaphorical perspective in Numbers 33, and it tells us how to fight. So let's look at it. It says this, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan. Now, back in Numbers, when the Israelites were heading into the promised land, they were given a very specific territory and geographical location. And God was going to establish his nation, the Israelites there. He had made a covenant relationship with them, telling him, this is going to be your place. And God is always faithful to his promises. And so it was supposed to be the nation of Israel, right? You're going to go in there. You got territories. You got borders, all of that kind of stuff. Go in there and fight. Now, what we're seeing in there is the, the strategy behind targeting an area. And uh, friends, uh, on, on this side of Christ's resurrection, here's the good news. Uh, Jesus extended the area of his kingdom reign. He extended it in Matthew 28, 18, when he said this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, when Christ rose from the grave, what happened is the promised land uh, extended to now the entire universe. Jesus was saying in Matthew 28 uh, that he is now making and holding claim that his people and that all nations on earth should surrender and submit to the kingship of Christ Jesus, the whole world, the whole earth. And so it's not just uh, uh, the promised land anymore. Now it, the promised land is the whole world. All of it should submit to King Jesus. But in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives us another step in understanding. Right before he ascends into heaven, he says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's he saying? He's saying you're going to start here and then this thing is going to go. And as we read through the book of Acts, we see Jesus wasn't wrong. The kingdom of God just going, and it kept growing and growing and growing. We're part of that here today. But it's a reminder to us, or it is uh, an indication to us what our perspective should be, and that is this, that we've got to start here. Now, what I'm about to say, uh, this is not to say anything against international missions or anything like that. We support international missions. We'll continue to do that. It's an important endeavor, but it is a reminder to us that we are called as followers of Christ and as a church to first bring the gospel to fruition right here where we're at. And God brought us here to Monclova. And uh, if you've been around Redemption a while, maybe you've heard me share the story of how we ended up here, and God knows exactly what he's doing, and he brought us here, and it, was, it is a beautiful story. I'll share it with you uh, all sometime on how we ended here, but it is also a reminder to us then that God has called us here to be a city on a hill here and to bring the gospel here. So when we say here, I mean, I mean Monclova, I mean Lucas County, I mean Northwest Ohio, right? Uh, and if God would extend our reach beyond that, great, but let's start here first. Let's have our eyes fixed on what does it look like to make the gospel win here, to see uh, all of Monclover, all of Lucas County, right, submit itself to the kingship of Christ Jesus. 
That's the call to the church, to bring the gospel right where we're at right now. And so part of our strategy has to be just keeping our eyes very focused on what is right here. Is Jesus winning in every part of where we're already at? Let's make the gospel win. You start where you're at currently. So this is the, the, the first part of the strategy that, that Jesus is kind of unveiling. And he, by the way, uh, when we have a um, church meeting, we do this once a year. It's on January 29th. So I guess that was that two weeks from today. Uh, and we have a church meeting at five o'clock and we're just going to walk through last year and then kind of forecast next year. And I sent out an email. I try not to be an alarmist or dramatic. Okay. Uh, but I sent out the email. And I was like, this is an important one. We have two things that we're going to talk about, two new initiatives that we're undertaking as a church in 2023. Uh, and and, and they'll, be, they'll start in 2023. They're going to carry on for years to come, God willing, uh, that have this in mind. Uh, and as we sat around and said, what are the two things we think we can do right now uh, to make a big impact in this area, uh, targeting here? Uh, and these two initiatives came out of that. We're going to explain them on the 29th. So I do hope you'll join us that night as we talk about these are the next steps and the next endeavors for us as a body of Christ. With that in mind, win here first. Bring the gospel here first, right? Monclova, Northwest Ohio, whatever it might be. Now, as you continue to read through the passage, you see the next uh, part of the strategy unveiled. He says, when you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Now, here's what's a little different. Our goal no longer is to drive the inhabitants out. Our goal now is to drive the devil out inside of them, but to see them converted to King Jesus right? And that's a different tactic. We don't just pop in and go, hey, all y'all need to leave. We, we pop in and say, hey, y'all need to repent and bow your knees to King Jesus, and you need to join the team. Some of you go like, well, I don't know if that would ever work. The Bible was written practically by a man, and that's exactly what happened to him. He was on the other team. Jesus won him, and then he changed. Paul, Saul became Paul. That's our hope. And I hope right now that there are people out there who are, are the most antagonistic to the gospel, the most antagonistic uh, uh, to us, the most antagonistic uh, to what we want to see God do right here, uh, who might stand in opposition to our, uh, our instructions and what we want to see happen here, that those are some of the first people converted to Christ, and they come join. And that's the hope uh, uh, of the New Covenant Christian, right, uh, that we would invite all in around here. We call it everyone's invited to experience redemption. And so no matter how vocal or how opposed they might be to us, if they bow to King Jesus, they get to come join us. And they get to be part of the team now uh, of seeing the gospel win in our town. And so, uh, so that's the first little part of it. But then he goes on to this, and he gives them the rest of the strategy. He says, uh, you're going to drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. And then he's going to say, destroy three things. Destroy their figured stones, destroy their metal images, and demolish all their high places. He says, you're going to go in and you're going, to, uh, you're going to get rid of everything that exists still in the land that points to something other than King Jesus. Uh, see, what these things were, uh, they were used in different outlets, some in homes, some in corporate gatherings. The high places then were these like uh, pictures of society that everyone could look at and go, ah, this is who we worship. Uh, this, is, uh, this is what our culture is all about. And Jesus, uh, the Lord said, I want you to go in there and anything that points to a culture, uh, anything that points to a world that is submitted to anything other than, uh, than the Lord your God, I want you to get rid of it. I want you to rip it out. I want you to destroy it or, or to the strongholds or the high places. He says, I want you to tear them down. I want you to tear them down. 
Get rid of them. Anything culturally, societal, that points to something other than the lordship of our God. Go in there. Now, what does that look like for us? I think here's the comparison, uh, that as we think about King Jesus reigning uh, in in our area, uh, that we are given uh, instruction here to go in and to identify what are the uh, areas of society that the enemy is using uh, to draw people to himself and to push people away from the Lord. Practically speaking, what are the the high places in our society uh, that people look to and they say, okay, no, this is what tells me what is true. Uh, This is what informs what life is all about. Uh, This is what I look to as direction and guidance. What are those things? And to metaphorically to tear them down, to tear them down. That there's a battle going on, that the enemy is being strategic in using these things to advance uh, uh, lies and deception. And the church then needs to understand that we have been given an instruction by the Lord to go in and to reform those things, tear them down where they're wrong, and to elevate King Jesus instead. There, I'm, I'm okay with there being high places, but those high places need to be reflecting Jesus, not the enemy. And so what are those things in our own society that we could look at right now and say, okay, uh, these things are what is being used in culture uh, uh, right now to advance the lies of the enemy? I'm going to give you three. I'm going to give you three this morning. And, uh, and I would say these are three areas where the battle is being fought, where the enemy has been strategic. Uh, and by the way, the enemy, uh, he's been playing a long game, um, but we need to play a long game too. And the enemy has been playing a long game in all three of these things and has been using them over time to advance his agenda. Uh, Let me give you to him, and then I'll walk through some details a little bit. Number one, education. Education. And hear me out here. I'm not condemning every teacher, okay? Uh, We love teachers. We especially love teachers who advance the gospel and who stand in environments where they're told not to advance the gospel, and they do anyway. So good for you. But education is a battle. It is a battlefront right now. And if you're going to go into battle, you have to go into battle with strategy. And you have to attack at points that matter, critical points. And right now, one of the critical points is the education of our children. And this is a battle that started 30, 40 years ago in more widespread. It's a battle that even predates that about 100 years or so uh, when we began to see invasion into this, where instead of education being something that advanced the, the, the values of the Word of God, it began to be something that diverted people away from the Word of God. This is a battleground, and it's a battleground. You know, uh, the average student spends 16,000 hours in education, 16,000 hours, right? And we have to ask ourselves, what are these kids? What are they learning? Abraham Lincoln said these words. He was a pretty smart guy. He said, this generation's education is next generation's culture. Does that make sense? What they're learning now, what is being educated now is what the culture will reflect Right? And so education is a battlefront right now. The second one uh, uh, that I would say, oh, and by the way, here's the idea behind education. If I, I'm, I'm going to, a quick summary here. The idea behind education is what? Let's normalize, right? Or let's teach and normalize uh, things contrary to the way of God to children so that we can normalize behavior. Second thing then, uh, uh, that, that the enemy has been using is, uh, is government. Government, uh, to use government then to do what? To legalize what has now been normalized. 
And so then government comes in behind, legalizes these things. And so now it's been normalized. Now it's been legalized. And then the third one is media that comes in and then um, propagates the message to everybody on this is how you're supposed to think. And this is what is supposed to be both normal and legal. And we sit right now uh, as a nation looking back, and many of us would scratch our heads because we, maybe you watch TV from like 2009 or something, and you go, wow, that was like a different world. That's 14 years ago. And you think, how have things changed so much? Oh, there was a battle. There was a strategy that was set in place, right? And, uh, and I think what we're seeing here, uh, and God's instructions are this, uh, that you have to tear these things out. You have to get rid of, you have to reform these things. Uh, otherwise, if they maintain their position and their power and their strength, uh, it's going to squelch any reformation. Now, when I say tear it down here in a moment, uh, just to be all clear, okay, I'm not like calling for armed rebellion, Okay. No one get the wrong idea here, right? What I'm saying is from a metaphorical perspective, there is work to be done in the, uh, through the tactics that the enemy is using. Let me give you a couple of examples here, okay? And I, I looked these up. These are real examples, okay? Um, and, uh, and I think they speak to the state of things that we need to be aware and awake to in the battle. When teachers are instructing second graders to transition... We need to tear that down. When teachers' unions are fighting to teach sex to kindergartners, we need to tear that down. When the American founders are called racist and evil and rioters are called righteous and good, we need to tear that system down. When administrators are encouraging teachers to hide truth from parents, we need to tear that down. When it is encouraged to teach sexually explicit books, but it is against the law to teach the Bible, we need to tear that down. When the government wants to take parental rights away so that minors can choose transition surgery without telling their parents, we need to tear that system down. And when a child has a protected right to change their gender, but not a protected right to leave the womb, we need to tear that system down. And when we have elected officials quoting scripture like they did last week in Michigan to defend abortion, we need to tear that system down. And when the city of Toledo can vote to steal $100,000 of COVID relief money to fund abortions, we need to tear that down and vote some people out. And when the Protection to Marriage Act totally dismisses what marriage actually is, we need to tear that down. And when we're more concerned about being an LGBTQ plus friendly city than we are about teaching the kids the B-I-B-L-E, we need to tear that system down. And when elected officials of both parties in the state of Ohio are still voting to let boys play girls sports, we need to tear that system down too, okay? And we can pretend that these two areas, education and government, are secular entities that we're supposed to stay out of, or we can understand that when Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, and later when we read Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to talk about the lordship of Christ over all things, that apparently all things to some people doesn't mean all things, but all things is supposed to mean all things, and we're not supposed to be ceding ground to the enemy. We're supposed to be taking ground and making that ground bow to King Jesus. 
That is the call on the church. That's the call of the follower of Christ. And so if you thought, I want to be a Christian, and that meant I have to go to church once a week or once a month uh, and not do certain things and not say certain things, you missed the point. The point is to bring King Jesus' reign to the whole world, to the whole earth, to every single part of the world. And so we stay local, we're going to stay focused, and we, because when we start talking about some of this stuff that we need to do, we don't have the resources, we don't have the manpower, we don't have any of that stuff to go take on the world, okay? But we, we do, yes, but he also has a church that's all over the country and all over the world, and he has us here. And so we will start here. We will start here. And by the way, the next, if you're wondering, like, okay, so this sounds good, but what are we actually going to do? That's what the next 10 weeks are about, Okay? That's for the next 10 weeks. We're going to walk right through it. Now, in this too, we also see this. It says in verse 53, and you shall take possession of the land and settle in it. Now, how do you go take possession of something? You don't go take possession of something by playing defense. Y'all watched that ridiculous football game last Monday? That was the national championship game. I don't know. Everyone's already forgot about it. Y'all moved on, okay, because you were too sad, right, and all of that kind of stuff. But it was interesting because the, uh, they asked the Georgia coach before the game, uh, what's your tactic? And you know what he said? He said, we're going to go on offense. And they did a lot, right? They, 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 they wound them up, and they, they destroyed them by going on offense. And here's what's interesting. This says right here that you're supposed to, the church, or you're telling the Israelites, go take possession of the land. You don't take possession of the land by sitting back. You take possession of the land by going on offense. When I was uh, a freshman uh, in college, I went and I played, I played college football my freshman year, and uh, I showed up and I got there and I got the, the playbook and I'm like looking through the plays and all of this kind of stuff. I said, coach, this is great. Thank you for this. I'm learning a lot about our defensive schemes and everything like that. Um, but I thought, uh, but, but where are all the plays? And I don't get it. It's just defensive schemes. Because I went there thinking I was going to be playing offense. And then I get there and uh, my coach gives me the defensive playbook. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I was not meant to play defense. So, coach, I didn't play defense in high school because I can't tackle. And that's a big part of playing defense. He said, well, you're going to play defense here. I said, coach, I really think I should be playing offense. So then I played for the entire year. And guess what? I was horrible. Okay? Like, not very good. And we got to the end. And I told coach, I said, coach, I can't do this anymore. I wasn't meant to play defense. It's time that the church stands up and says, we can't do this anymore. We weren't meant to play defense. We were meant to play offense. And instead of taking culture, we need to go make culture. And we need to go on offense and, and realize that the church has been given weapons of war. I'll read them to you here in a moment. And it is to go on offense. And I think because we were playing from home field advantage for a long time that we thought that the church was just supposed to sit back like, you know what? It's a Christian nation and, and the rule of God still uh, reigns in many places. And it did for a very long time. And so uh, I don't know if it was playing defense or if it was just playing apathetically, uh, but the time for that is over. In fact, one of the reasons we're having and Eric Metaxas come in and speak uh, is because he's one of the leading voices right now of telling the church, wake up, there is a fight to be had, and we can't play defense, it's time to go on offense. And uh, when you go on offense, you need some weapons. You, you need some weapons of war. And our weapons look a little bit different. And so let me show them to you here in the scriptures because it's important that how we fight matters. How we fight matters. We are fighting a spiritual battle, but how we engage in that battle will ultimately reflect the king that we serve. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says it this way. And by chapter 3, I mean chapter 10. 
I was very confused there for a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, uh, we don't get to fight the same way we would fight if we were just in the flesh. And uh, the, the, the enemy, the, the, the battle, uh, the, the, the other side, they can use tactics that we can't use. They can use lies. They can use deception. They can use character assassination. They can use tactics that we're not able to use because how we fight reflects our king. Because in the end, our hope for them is that they come join our team. And so when we fight, we have to make sure that we don't fight using lies. We don't fight. It doesn't mean we can't be wise. It doesn't mean that we can't be, uh, that we can't be intelligent in how we go about doing it. But we don't get to fight uh, with the same disregard for integrity or the same disregard uh, for character. Like we have to fight using uh, uh, the godliness that has been given to us. And so that does matter how we speak, and it does matter how we interact, and it does matter how we engage. And uh, character assassination is one of the favorite tactics, right, of the enemy, and we don't get to use that one. And so we have to make sure that we don't fight the same way, that we fight in a way that honors our king. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. So what are the weapons that we know can, divi- uh, can destroy strongholds? Let me give you two of them. The one, one of them is the word of God. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, the word of God can break through and can cut through, and the Word of God can uh, destroy strongholds. And that's why uh, we encourage the Word of God in your life. Uh, It's why I hope the Word of God is very present in your life. And if you did start that New Year's resolution to read through the Bible this year and you've already given up on it, get back in it. Here's your wake-up call. Here's your reminder. If you didn't do that, get back into it. If you need help with it, read our daily dig. You can sign for it up on the website. But the Word of God, the daily Word of God, like our verse of the year, Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Don't be trying to live the Christian life without your daily meditation on the Word of God filling you, like the uh, body, like bread is to the body, the Word of God is to the soul. And, and so this is one of the weapons uh, of how we do it, and the first way to do it is just get your understanding of it, start reading the Word of God consuming yourself with it. In fact, I would say this, one of the best things you can do, if you would look out at the world and say, I want to see a reformation, I want to see the gospel move, great, read your Bible. Start with you. Start letting the word of God break into you because I know this, when the word of God starts breaking into you, it will naturally break out. And if each and every one of us is waking up and we know that the Lord is training us for battle, uh, and how is he going to do it? He's going to train us using the weapons that he, that, that he has given us. And one of them is the word of God. And so as you become more a studious of this word, as you know it more, as it breaks into you more, as you're reading it more, as it's filling your heart and your mind more, then you are more prepared, more prepared, more prepared for the battle. And if we're going to fight a battle against the enemy, we need as many trained and prepared people as possible. So come on. Second battle, or second weapon, uh, in short, that we're giving, and I know there's more, and some of you are like, I want more, I want more, I want more. Okay, great. Okay, but start with the first two. 
Mark 9, 29, uh, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, uh, but it, it tells us of uh, a second weapon of war that we're given. And it says, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. And what was going on in this story is that the, te- uh, the ten, 12 disciples uh, were trying to cast the demon out uh, of a guy who was demon-possessed, and they couldn't do it. And uh, the story is a literal story, but it's actually a metaphorical story of a powerless church, uh, a church that doesn't have the power that it's supposed to have. And then Jesus comes up. He was up on the mountain praying. Jesus comes down, he sees the demon, and he sends it running. And afterwards, the disciples go, how come we couldn't do that? And Jesus says, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. In other words, there are certain reformations, there are certain revivals, there are certain things that can only happen when there is a group of people, a battle-prepared people who know how to pray, who know how to pray. And uh, it's interesting now, when we start talking about reformation and all of this kind of stuff, and we're, uh, we're going to lay out our 10-point strategy here uh, over the next 10 weeks, uh, but, but we can't forget the basics. We can't forget the basics of going back and remembering, okay, like I'm going to keep God's preparing me, and he's trained in me, so I'm going to get better and, and, and a greater knowledge of the word of God. Uh, I'm going to get a greater uh, ability to pray, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow through that. And as you're growing, what you're doing when you're growing and you're growing and he's growing and she's growing, then what's happening here is the collective uh, spiritual force here of uh, this body is growing underneath, and we need you. And so be equipped with the weapons of our warfare. For the weapons of our warfare, right, are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. How do we do that? By knowing the word of God and by refuting lack of truth with the word of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience. Get this, when your obedience is complete. And so it is, again, it's going back to you. It's saying, yeah, we can do things out there, but first off, we gotta let things happen in here. So my friend, you got to keep letting the gospel break into you. And as the gospel breaks into you, and as you're being equipped for the weapons of war, as your hands are being trained for battle uh, through the word of God, through prayer, right? Then we get, to, uh, we get to move out. Now, first question is, is there a fight? Yes. The second question is, how do we fight? I just walked through that. The third question I'll say is this, what is the result of the fight? Well, for that, I want to take you to Colossians chapter 1. This is the passage of scripture that uh, Liz was reading at the end of worship today. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Oh, wait, I have to skip it. Did I skip it? No. Where are we at? There we are. Colossians chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, you can flip it over there, verses 9 through 20. I'm just going to walk us through this because I think this tells us what the answer to the battle is. What's the conclusion here? Paul starts like this. He says, so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. By the way, Paul is talking to the saints here. He's talking to the the everyday believer, and he's saying, I'm praying for you. Why? I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, that you, my friend, would have spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's like, step one, you got to walk in a manner. You got to live a holy life. You got to live unto the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's a growing you that's going on as you're submitting yourself to King Jesus, as you're, uh, as you're learning more of the Lord, as you're, as you're growing then, right? You're increasing in knowledge of God. And then what? You're being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I love the reminder there that Paul has that when we're 
fighting and we're in the battle, we actually do it from a place of joy, right? That even when we look out and we say, oh, the world is not the way that I would want it to look. This is not the way that I would want it to look. But I have a joy in my heart because Christ has won me, because I have stepped into my salvation. I have stepped into grace. I know the end of the story and what eternity looks like. And so even as we engage in this battle, friends, we've got to make sure we don't forget our joy along the way, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Anyone here go to BG? Anyone here went to BG in the past? Awesome. Cool. I'm going to make fun of you real quick. Okay. So now in college football, you got the transfer portal, right? So basically, anybody can leave at any time for any reason. It's kind of ruining college football. But imagine you were a Bowling Green football player, and all of a sudden, you get a call from the Georgia coach, and he says, I want you to transfer, and I want you to come start for the University of Georgia. That's what it's like to be transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Listen, it's a football metaphor, okay? I'm not like, here's what I'm saying. In a moment, you have zero hope of winning the national championship to having every right and expectation that you will. In a moment, it doesn't say we will be transferred. It doesn't say upon your good deeds, you will be transferred. It doesn't say if you work hard enough, you get to be transferred. It doesn't say that there is a future moment in time when the transfer will happen. It says that upon your salvation, later he's going to say, uh, upon the redemption or the forgiveness of your sins. We would call this uh, uh, the individual redemption. It's uh, in part, this is one of the two verses that we named our church after, that there is a moment where there is a redemption, there is a purchase. And what happens, what happens at the moment of the purchase is you go from the perspective of the domain of darkness to now step into the kingdom of Christ Jesus. And when you step into the kingdom of Christ Jesus, you no longer carry the mentality that you carried in the old dominion of darkness. But unfortunately, what some people do is they transfer over, but they carry the same mentality. And what they think is this, we still live in a domain of darkness, but every once in a while when we get lucky, a little bit of light will win. No, when you transfer from one to the other, you get a new perspective. And in the new perspective, you say, I expect that we are going to win. I know that King Jesus is reigning supreme. We don't live in a domain of darkness where a little bit of light is coming in. We live in the new kingdom, and we are supposed to push back all of the light. And these are two very different perspectives. This perspective over here, the Christians who maintain that perspective, it becomes very fatalistic. All things are just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And maybe every once in a while, we'll see a little bit of light. Don't get caught into that. You have been transferred into the kingdom of God. We now live in a kingdom that is supposed to push the darkness back. Let me say it this way. Imagine had the Puritans 400 years ago thought, you know what? The world's probably going to end soon, so we're just going to stay here and die. Know what they do? 
They came over here to create a city on a hill, and in part, we get to live under their action. We don't know when this place is ending, but I do know between now and then, we do everything we can to usher in the kingdom of God. And so we're not bunkering down. We're preparing for battle, right? We're not sitting back going, all right, I just want to make it to the end. No, we are equipping ourselves and training ourselves because there could be generations, four or five generations from here, 100 years, 200 years ago, and they're going to sit back and go, man, we get to live in what we get to live in because of the revival of 2023. And so stop seeding ground to the enemy. Let's go take it back. That's what he's calling us to here. He said, you've been transferred into a new kingdom in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, Paul, what he does is he trans, uh, transitions here from the individual redemption to a corporate uh, redemption mandate, I would say, and it is this, that Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by Christ all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. If somebody tells you to do something and they have zero authority to tell you to do it, it really doesn't matter that much what they told you to do. But if somebody tells you to do something and they have all of the authority on telling you how to do it and also the power to make you do it and also have determined because they're in charge that it's going to happen, then you might as well get on to do what they told you to do. And that's what we have. We don't have somebody who's just like, I think you should go bring the gospel to the world. We have the King Jesus over the entire world who's looking at a group of people and saying, no, 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 seriously, go bring the gospel to the world, and I'll give you all the power in order to do it. That is a mandate to go on offense. He says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, this, I already read this, I know, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, those are all the things that are going to stand in opposition. All things were created through him and for him. And get this, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together all things. Let me revisit a little bit where I uh, came earlier on in the sermon. All things. He is the head of all things. Why is it then if Christ is the head of all things that there are so many Christians and so many churches and so many people who are satisfied with the enemy being the head over certain things? Well, if Christ is supposed to be the head of all things, then our mission and our mandate is to go make Christ head of all things. And when we talk about all things, that means education, and that means government, uh, and that means all of the spheres of our world. That means our media. That means every single thing. And until Jesus is reigning as king, and all of those things are bowed to King Jesus, our work is not done. We are called to go and to bring Jesus as the king and the head because all of the world is submitted and all of the world has been discipled unto him. So we're like, right, but isn't Jesus coming back and he's bringing heaven down to earth on the way? Yeah, and what are the, uh, and in the parable, uh, the 10 virgins, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? We're supposed to be found doing his work in the meantime. We're not supposed to be found wondering, when's he coming, when's he coming, when's he coming? What we're supposed to be found doing is bringing the kingdom, bringing the kingdom, bringing the kingdom. Go on offense. All things submitted to King Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. This is his chosen mechanism in which to do it. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, in everything, Christ might be preeminent. Let me ask you, is Christ preeminent right now? In everything. No. But is he supposed to be? Yes. 
How do we do that? Go disciple the nations. Go get them to bow to King Jesus. You say, oh, it's going to be hard. Yes, it is. I told you. It's a battle. It's a fight. It's not going to be easy. Ah, but we have King Jesus. He's the one who told us to go do it. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Why does he need to reconcile them to him? Because they were disconnected. Now he's bringing them all back to himself. To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's a charge, my friends. That is a charge by the king of the universe looking at his church, telling them there's a fight to fight. Go fight it. Learn your weapons. Use them. It's a spiritual battle. And don't stop until Jesus is reigning supreme over everything. So that's when we'll stop. In the meantime, we have a strategy. We've got a plan. We're going to lay it out over the next 10 weeks. I hope you'll join us. Bring somebody with you because I think in this type of fight, the more people you have on your side, the better. So let's go get them. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love you. We're grateful that you are the king over this world. And Father, I pray uh, if we have adapted or adopted a fatalistic mindset, if we have uh, thought that we just want to sit back and play defense and let the enemy own ground that he's not supposed to, we apologize and we pray right now, Lord, that you would stir something in us. And Father, I pray that you would equip and empower this church to be a church on offense. And we know you're doing it in other churches all across our area and all across our nation. And we join together and we pray for and look forward to the day when all things, all things, you will be preeminent in. And Father, in the meantime, we're going to do the best we can down here, empowered by your spirit, unified as a church family and ready to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.